you're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Palladino. If you have been following the podcast for a bit, you'll recall episodes about breastfeeding, episodes about tongue tie, and episodes about airway health. Today, I will connect these with the goal of giving a foundation to my passion for breastfeeding support and treating symptomatic oral restrictions to allow comfortable and effective breastfeeding. It's time to get this conversation started. Whether or not you are a breastfeeding professional, you may or may not yet have heard these connections, as it can be a source of controversy to express views that may make others feel as though they are being judged or worse, make them feel as if they didn't do the right thing. As always, This is a judgment-free zone. I speak not as someone who has always done things in the ideal way, but as someone who has learned from my own experiences. I don't want any of this to be triggering for anyone. And I also want you to understand that I didn't get any of this right with my own children. In the words of Maya Angelou, Do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. Connecting breastfeeding and airway health. As a registered nurse, certified nurse midwife, and lactation consultant, I have been helping new families to breastfeed for over 30 years. Most of those working in the hospital setting, but eight years in private practice. Tethered oral tissues treatment has been my focus for the past 12 years. I have built a team, developed and implemented treatment plans that have guided hundreds of families to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. Not everyone knows what an IBCLC is, not even everyone who listens to this podcast, I'm sure. So an IBCLC is a healthcare professional who specializes in the clinical management of breastfeeding and is certified by a governing body. An IBCLC is the highest credential recognized for clinical lactation support. Let's start with some basic facts. Humans are mammals 
and mammals are defined as any member of the group of vertebrate animals in which young are nourished with milk from the special mammary glands of the mother. I'm going to say this a few times as you listen today, but the closer we stay to our biology, the healthier we will be. Human babies are meant to be fed human milk at the human breast. Biologically, attachment parenting is the norm for mammals. Breastfeeding until the natural age of weaning, which is between three to five years of age, is the ideal for human babies. I am not saying that we have to nurse our kids for that long, and I'm certainly not considering right now all of the societal roadblocks that get in our way, but we have to look at the facts in order to strive towards better. So by saying this, I'm really just trying to put things into perspective. As mammals, who else do we know that are mammals, right? We know that dogs and cats are mammals. Realize that no one tells a dog that they're spoiling their kids or their puppies or the cat that she's spending too much time snuggling with her kittens. Now, another important idea to contemplate is our health since the Industrial Revolution has not been increasing. Our mortality rates, maybe. We might be living longer, but our overall health is suffering. We have strayed very far from nature. I'm going to ask you to keep this in the back of your mind during this episode, that human babies are meant to be fed at the human breast. And what does that mean if it doesn't work? I see this reflected in some health parameters of concern. 3 to 12% of children snore while obstructive sleep apnea affects 1 to 10% of children. The incidence of infant plagiocephaly is as high as 46% in some studies. And the number of New York City school-aged children approved for special education services in 2020 was almost 500,000. 29% of those children had concerns attributed to a speech-language impairment. I will connect these facts as we go on, but for now, I will ask, how did we get to this place? I recently spoke to a local group at a place called the Sensory Studio. The Sensory Studio is a beautiful, thriving practice serving children with need for speech therapy, physical therapy, and occupational therapy. Just the fact of the need for this thriving practice has me scratching my head. Why are these numbers growing? What is happening? I always ask why. I'm trained in the functional medicine model, always looking for the root cause. That practice, those therapists, all do wonderful work. But from a population perspective, it's not a healthy trend that so many of our kids need extra help to breathe, to speak, to learn. 
Okay, let's go back to breastfeeding. Let's talk about what professional organizations say. The professional organizations agree on paper. The World Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American College of OBGYNs, and the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine all agree on paper. Bottom line, human milk is the preferred feeding for all infants, and it is recommended that breastfeeding continue for at least the first 12 months and thereafter for as long as mutually desired. Let's talk about how we're doing. With my local area as an example, I took some stats from the most recent available reports for Staten Island, the borough of New York City where I live. On Staten Island, in 2017, only 24.7% of infants left the hospital without getting some formula feeding by bottle. In the U.S. in 2018, only 25.8% of infants were exclusively breastfed through six months, as the professional organizations recommend. And then another view, you may not think it has to do with breastfeeding, but I think it does, 34% of infants were born by cesarean section in New York City in 2017. For context, in 1970, the cesarean section rate was about 5%. REM Mastered Sleep has developed the patented REM Plenish Myonozzle to improve tongue awareness and strength. Recommended by therapists for pre- and post-tongue-tie release, proper swallow development, and tongue-up posture, it provides therapy consistency simply by drinking water to discourage old habits and reduce overall therapy time. Originally created to improve snoring and tiredness, the Remplenish Myo Nozzle is available with a straw or water bottle. To learn more, visit the website www.remmasteredsleep.com and use the code TTIE10 to save 10%. And of course, the link will be in the show notes. The C-section numbers can be seen as a concern for a few reasons. Are babies' heads getting bigger or shaped differently before they are ever born? Is the maternal pelvis shape-changing, or is this just a result of turning childbirth into an assembly line business? I have my own opinions on this, but that's a whole other episode. Okay, so speaking of my own opinions and my own experience, I'm going to talk a little bit about research studies versus clinical experience. In my experience as a professional who is in the unique position to care for mothers and babies, our world would be healthier if everyone was supported to breastfeed. And during this episode, I am attempting to use research to connect the dots that I see in my clinical experience. And in the show notes, you will find links to all of the resources used in this presentation, including 
where I've gotten the statistics from and the clinical studies I will talk about. In my clinical practice, this is a snapshot of what I am seeing. I'm seeing tethered oral tissues such as lip and tongue tie. I'm seeing torticollis, plagiocephaly, infants who are not able to be comfortable in tummy time, overuse of quote-unquote buckets or containers to hold the baby, overuse of swaddling, pacifiers, and obsession with sleep training. Infants on medication to treat colic and reflux. From birth, this is. Medication already. In the reports, I read that 60% of parents do not reach their breastfeeding goals. And reasons that are stated include issues with latching. And this could be pain, inability to open the mouth to latch, unable to move the tongue to extract milk, swallowing difficulties. Many of these issues, but not all, are related to tongue tie. So one of the reasons, again, issues with latching. A second reason is concerns about making enough milk. And enough milk is mostly, when supported, just a perceived issue. Because only 1% to 2% of women will not make enough milk if guided by professional lactation support and other things aren't interfered with. A third reason that parents don't reach their breastfeeding goals is concern about taking medications while breastfeeding. Most medications are not passed into breast milk, but most physicians and pharmacists don't understand how substances get into milk, so they don't understand how to counsel parents, and they just say, well, you know, give formula instead without getting to the real research that shows what medicines are safe and and aren't. Most are safe. And the fourth reason that people give is unsupportive work policies and lack of parental leave. That's a big topic. And the fifth reason is cultural norms and lack of family support. Bottom line, if your mom didn't breastfeed, you are likely to fail with breastfeeding. So the longer we go in generations of families without breastfeeding, the less likely it will be that breastfeeding will happen again in that family. And the sixth reason given is unsupportive hospital practices and policies. And I worked on this for eight years, and I can tell you it is very difficult to change things within the hospital. As always, I have another idea about part of the reason why we are failing. There is a monopoly of education about infant feeding. By the 1940s and 1950s, physicians and consumers regarded the use of formula as a well-known, popular, and safe substitute for breast milk. Consequently, breastfeeding experienced a steady decline. Financial support from formula companies helps educate our doctors and nurses and even builds newborn nurseries in our hospitals. Did you know that? (laughs) Hospitals are given free formula to quote unquote gift to new families, essentially 
free advertising, and brand recognition. Fast fact, if a family is sent home with free formula, they are twice as likely to supplement unnecessarily. I believe it's time to shift the paradigm from the benefits of breastfeeding to the risks of formula feeding. Now, again, this is controversial, and I'm going to give a trigger warning here. If you do not want to hear about sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS or statistics around infant death, now would be a good time to stop listening. But we need to talk about the many risks of formula for a newborn. And the risk that stands out for me is the increased risk of SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome when formula is used. As a definition, SIDS is the sudden and unexplained death of a baby younger than one year old. Breastfeeding duration of at least two months is associated with half the risk of SIDS. Now, remember I said I think it's time for a paradigm shift? What if we said it the other way? Because it's the same fact. Breastfeeding duration of two months is associated with half the risk of SIDS. Or we could say giving formula before two months doubles the risk of SIDS. There are more questions than answers in this discussion. And airway pros are very concerned, rightly, with snoring and sleep apnea in children and adults. Some of us are asking, is SIDS the ultimate result of sleep-disordered breathing and sleep apnea? We know that for adults, sleep apnea does not always lead to death during sleep, thank goodness, but may have many sequelae as a result of inadequate oxygenation. So, are infants who are formula-fed at higher risk for sleep-disordered breathing and its consequences from birth? Let's look at some studies. In one study, children were considered at age four, and they were or had been exclusively breastfed for six months, and they were divided into two groups. One who, after they were weaned from the breast, were given a cup to drink, and the other group were given a bottle. And lip closure was observed in 82% of the children in group one, those who had a cup to drink, and 65% of those in group two, those who used a bottle. Tongue resting in the maxillary arch was found in 73% of the children in the cup-using group, and in 47% of those who used a bottle. Nasal breathing was observed in 69% of those who used a cup and 37% of those who were weaned from breastfeeding to a bottle. The maxilla was shown to be normal in 90% of group one and 78% of group two. So we're seeing maxillary changes already by age four, differences in the method of feeding. The conclusion that the authors found was that use of a bottle, even among breastfed children, 
interferes negatively with oral facial development. Now, again, I know that we need bottles. That's not the point of this. Again, it's not to make anybody feel bad or feel like we have impossible goals. It's just learning some facts so we can start to shift the importance of breastfeeding in our healthcare system or in our world. In another study, it was found that breastfeeding for more than one month is associated with a reduced risk for parent-reported habitual snoring and witnessed apneas at eight years of age. The longer the duration of breastfeeding in the first year of life is associated with greater reduction in the risk of parent-reported snoring and witnessed apnea at age eight. The conclusion was, the finding is consistent with the beneficial effect of the breast in the mouth on the oral pharyngeal development with consequent protection against upper airway dysfunction causing sleep-disordered breathing. Still another study, and again, all of these studies are in the show notes. There's a link in the show notes to the whole reference list. A longitudinal study of 80 mother-child pairs monitored from early pregnancy to 30 months of age with variables of finger-sucking, pacifier use, bottle-feeding, breastfeeding, and nocturnal mouth-breathing. At month 30, the children were examined for overjet, overbite, and posterior crossbite. Children with a finger-sucking habit and those with low rates of breastfeeding were more susceptible to overjet and overbite. Children with pacifier habit were more susceptible to overjet, open bite, and overbite. And posterior crossbite was associated with bottle-fed children and nocturnal mouth breathers. Unfortunately, my own family, my own experience shows uh, evidence of that study. I wish I could go back and know now what I know about extended pacifier use. And I wish my mom had understood about extended pacifier use. But we know better, we do better, right? Okay. I'm going to shift a little bit to when I gave this presentation, I had a slide that said back to the future. We're going to flip back to... Dr. Brian Palmer. To further connect the dots, I will share with you the fundamentals of a pioneer who passed away in 2012, taking away the opportunity to thank him for his work. Dr. Brian Palmer was a dentist and a researcher. He was popular in this narrow field that intersects dentistry, infant feeding, and overall health lecturing about the importance of breastfeeding for the proper development of the oral cavity, airway, facial form, and the effects on infant caries. He discussed why tight frenulums needed to be addressed, the signs and symptoms, cause and prevention, and treatment of snoring and obstructive sleep apnea, and the basics of dentistry not taught in dental schools. Some of his tenets faded with him. Others you may have heard but not realized they came from his original work. I will share some here, and I will read these as bullet points. I'd love to know which you've heard and which are new to you. Here we go. Anything placed in a child's mouth other than the mother's breast can impact occlusion. 
While the soft breast adapts to the shape of the infant's mouth, anything firm requires the mouth to do the adapting. The unnatural forces impact the position of the teeth and shape of the palate. In addition, during breastfeeding, the tongue moves in a peristaltic motion underneath the breast. This motion is critical for the proper development of swallowing, alignment of the teeth, and the shaping of the hard palate. Breastfeeding helps develop a correct swallow pattern, as well as proper development of muscles around the face and jaw. Muscle forces always win out over a bone. Teeth will be moved. It is rare to find malocclusions in prehistoric skulls because breastfeeding was the only form of infant nurturing. Tight frenums can interfere with breastfeeding and can cause significant health and dental problems. Newborns should be evaluated for tight frenulums at birth and treated accordingly. For those who think that tongue tie is a recent fad, keep in mind that these statements were made in 1996 about tight frenulums and treatment of them. So we get a lot of grief for this being a recent fad. It is not a recent fad by any means. Dr. Palmer went on to say lactation specialists provide the most important service of all the healthcare providers. See why I love him and why I'm sad that I never got to meet him? Breastfeeding is the key to the best and cheapest form of healthcare. The ramifications of not breastfeeding are significant. There is no delivery system or artificial content that will ever replace the act of feeding human milk direct from the breast. Bottle feeding is a deviation from the biological norm. That's a lot, right? So those were about 10 bullet points that I got from Dr. Palmer's website, and the link is in the show notes. But I just want to go on and add this. In 2011, Dr. Palmer was interviewed by Dr. Stephen Park, a very forward-thinking ENT and one of my colleagues. During this interview, he stated, Dr. Palmer stated the following goals of what he was going to do. Now, keep in mind, this was in 2011, and he passed away the next year. His goals were to make connections across professional disciplines to educate the sleep apnea community about the importance of breastfeeding, to educate the breastfeeding support community about the importance of sleep apnea, and to educate dental hygienists on how to screen their patients, not diagnose, but screen for sleep apnea, and also oral myologists, speech therapists, sleep techs, or anyone else who works or looks in a patient's mouth. So that was 2011. Why haven't enough people gotten the message? What do I think? I think that part of it 
is that we learn in silos. We don't have the connections across professional disciplines that Dr. Palmer spoke about. We don't even learn what each other learns. We don't learn together. Why don't I learn about what a dentist does, what an OT does, what a PT does, what an SLP does? And why don't you, if you're in any of those other professions, understand the benefits and importance of breastfeeding and the relationship and the need for an IBCLC in the healthcare team? Why don't pediatricians learn about how medication is passed into breast milk? And most importantly, why are we not taught to ask why? Lots of questions, right? But things are looking up. We now have interdisciplinary professional associations. We have research. We have social media mostly helping with awareness. We have smart people having children. Perhaps you're a parent listening today and you've made these connections before your healthcare providers. And your, your um, curiosity and your instincts and protectiveness and insistence on the right care for your children will move mountains. We have interdisciplinary education projects, such as this podcast, my own course, professional conferences. We have projects that I am proud to collaborate with, such as the Airway Revolution Foundation, and there's other projects such as the Airway Circle. We have more providers getting comfortable to think outside of the box of what was taught in school. And we have the work of professionals listening to us and others like us all over the world. I hope that this discussion will stimulate further discussions. I know that it was a lot of material and each point in its own right deserves to be talked about. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Come on over to our Facebook group or on Instagram to discuss with us or shoot me an email. All of the links are in the show notes. Feel free to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. I am so grateful for all of your attention and support. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.